0: My wife 's carried three babies in her belly, and towards the end, like a lot of moms, I guess she, she just says i 'm ready to birth this child um, and obviously there 's no man that, that ever knows what that feels like. I can only imagine that the feeling maybe thanksgiving Thanksgiving David got got to be objective here i 've had some moments. Um, <laughs> has anyone ever had to put a pillow in the middle of your back on thanksgiving day to breathe <laughs> not that i have i was just wondering <laughs> we went to a lamaze class one time and i used that on thanksgiving four years ago where am i going um, what i want to talk about today has been in my belly for a long time spiritually and I can't wait any longer, I wanna birth it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you, not bother you, Let the scriptures speak for themselves. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There are principles that when God's children do not abide by those, these principles, you actually don't just get opposed by the enemy, but you also can stand in opposition to the angel armies of the living God. Let me repeat myself. There are, when you don't abide by God's certain principles, the enemy is the least of your concerns. And the one that's at the top of the food chain is that disunity is the culture of hell. Hell. And unity is the culture of heaven. Can I have a water? I lost my voice during worship. I'm going to get healing from the father after worship. That's an all timer there. (laughs) And today I want to talk about disunity and the ramifications of disunity and the ramifications of unity. Can I do that? Let's go to that passage in Proverbs. And let's just let the scripture speak. And then I'm going to read for 15 minutes a prophetic word released on on February the 16th, 1995 by Rick Joyner, a respected prophet over the house of Morningstar who's been a father in the faith for a long, long time. He released this word that I'm going to read on my wife's actual birthday, February 16th. Two weeks ago, I gave my wife a bunch of words on a Sunday night, if you were here, that God's elevating her and her voice as a prophet and his word that God showed me two nights later was actually released on her literal birthday. Okay, now this is Proverbs 6.16 out of canonized scripture. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. <laughs> Intimacy, I want to know you, Jesus. I don't, I don't are you sure about that? The closer you, the closer friends you become with God, his expectations on you Change. It's impossible to be good friends with God and stir up conflict in a community. I had a dream last night of people in my past that have done that. You know, it's amazing. God knows what you're going to preach the day before you preach it. Maybe God is real. I had a dream about this whole scenario. There's a bunch of people in a room. Do you know that the enemy plants people to come at you? and And a lot of times... If not most of the time, the attacks against you and your business and your marriage and your leadership, they will come from other Christians, not those outside of Christ. That's a fact. Um, How do I I make this so plain? Uh, What if you knew that if you did something, you would get a great return? Let's just say that the Lord manifested and says, if you'll... Do this, then you're going to walk in blessing. You'd probably do it, right? It's not a shock. Last night that Alabama beat that team so bad because Alabama's pretty good. It's like it's like uh, some things are just. You drink water. You're going to be healthier than someone that drinks Coke. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to fast about it. You don't have to like it, but it's a fact. On every continent in the world, in worlds we know nothing of, one plus one is two if you argue that then you might need to read that proverbs passage because you're in trouble i mean it's it's two in spain one plus one is two okay when you walk in unity with your brethren as the scriptures would say when you walk in unity with your siblings when you walk in unity with your sphere of influence it commands the blessing of heaven now that's real deep and confusing I, y'all are in awe of what I just said somebody said one time it was, it was like a chocolate covered razor blade it was at the table conference last year it was one of those compliments of like thank you I think you ever get those someone said you know a lot of people say the deep things but your anointing is just to say the things that aren't deep <laughs> Lodi bar Lodi bar Lodi bar loadie bar Psalm 133, this is New American Standard. I don't really like reading the New American Standard devotionally because it's kind of choppy, but it's the closest to the Greek, in my opinion. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down from the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded, everyone say commanded, commanded the blessing life forever I'm going to make this so simple you have to hire someone to help you misunderstand it when you walk in unity there are blessings upon you you know nothing of disunity is the culture of hell when you walk in disunity even if you spin it as processing you are inviting the angel armies and the demonic forces to oppose you you can manipulate it and spin it as processing all you want to. You are asking for trouble from hell and heaven. I've never heard anyone preach on this. It's been in me for a long time. I'm not. I haven't been studying this from other communicators. This has been God talking to me. I cannot tell you how many times on this stage over the last four years without realizing why. Pretty much the only thing I pray for for this church besides hunger is unity. Unity all the time with elders it comes out of my mouth all the time that was even before I had revelation of what unity does can we go back to that passage please unity commands the blessing of heaven no one in this room who has ever been deceived probably realized you were deceived when you were being deceived if a person who is deceived knows that they're deceived they're not deceived it's like a Dr. Seuss saying People who are deceived are deceived. Typically how Satan will deceive people is he will get you to think that you are just processing about a situation when you are doing nothing but slandering and gossiping and lying even if you don't think you are or I am. If you had revelation on what disunity does, you would be terrified of gossip and slander way more than you are other sins like, well, we shouldn't watch that movie, listen to that song. If you knew what disunity did when you open up your mouth and you slander and gossip, you were inviting the hordes of hell to invade your life and to even be opposed by God and his angel armies. And I don't care what anointing you have, it cannot trump your own disunity, the cause of it and your own gossip and slander. This is not a deep message. It's really not. This is a sober message because you cannot ascend the mountain of God and oppose his, one of his top core values. Yeah, right. Over the past year, I knew this would happen. I mean, I prophesied to the elders. When we preached the message of Undercover or the Romans 13 passage about there's actually authority on the earth. You actually can't do what you want to do, when you want to do, how you want to do it. And I preach that the number one satanic virtue in the satanic Bible is do whatever thou wilt. It triggered, and I I said it would happen. I don't even think it was highly prophetic. It triggered so many people that are even listening to me now. That whole message triggers so many people because if you carry the opposite of what I'm talking about, it triggers the spirit that loves, loves. These spirits love disunity. Satan loves disunity. He loves it. He specializes in it. Therefore, ask yourself the question, why in the world is the last thing that Jesus Christ prayed for, the last thing he prays for in John 17, before it all goes down, is what? Unity. This is Jesus, your king. Father, that they may be one as you and I are one, right? The Trinity themselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't wait to spend forever with all three. Don't you just love them? I cannot wait. Sometimes I get tired of walking by faith. I cannot wait to be skinny and see God. Those two things. If I get to heaven I'm fat, I'm going to whip somebody up there. God, I love you so much. I love you so much. Son, if you loved me, you wouldn't gossip all the time and spin it as um, Processing. This is the prophetic word given in 1995. I'm going to read a lot. I should have put it on the screen, but it's okay. Here we go. Holy Spirit, I ask that this church body get so much revelation on this that we would just be bunkered together like Gideon's army. On February the 16th, 1995, I was given a dream in which I saw a great army fall from hell that had been released against the church. Two days later, I was given a vision in which I saw the diabolical horde again, but in much greater detail. This is an abbreviated version of the first part of that vision. The second part will appear in the next edition of the Morningstar Journal. God's telling me to slow down. There are some aspects of this vision that were honestly repulsive. But I have tried to share it just the way I saw it. The works of darkness are repulsive in the most profound sense of that word and we must recognize them as such. In the first part of this vision, I saw the degree of which this evil had its grip on believers, how many Christians are being used by the enemy and what it will take to set them free. In the second part of the vision, I saw a unified, glorious church rise up as a great army in the most pivotal battle of all time between light and darkness. This battle is already beginning to rage. Dreams and visions are usually metaphorical, and this one definitely is. Even so, what it represents is real and is happening now. It was for this reason I decided to share it in abbreviated form, even though it may at times seem incomplete. If you hear the Lord's voice through this vision, do not harden your heart. Put on the whole armor of God and prepare for the battle. The evil army. I saw demonic army so large that it stretched as far as I could see. It was separated into divisions with each carrying a different banner. The foremost and most powerful divisions were pride, self-righteousness, respectability, selfish ambition, and unrighteous judgment. But the largest of all was jealousy. The leader of this vast army was the accuser of the brethren himself. I knew that there were many more evil divisions beyond my scope of vision, and these were the vanguard of this terrible horde from hell that was now being released against the church." The weapons carried by this horde had names on them. The swords were named intimidation, the spears were named treachery, and their arrows named accusations, gossip, slander, and fault-finding. Scouts and smaller companies of demons with such names as rejection, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness, and lust were sent in advance of this army to prepare for the main attack. I knew in my heart that the church had never faced anything like this before. The main assignment of this army was to cause division, it was sent to attack every label of relationship, churches with each other, congregations with their pastors, husbands, wives, children's parents, and even children with each other. The scouts were sent to locate the openings in churches, families, or individuals that rejection, bitterness, lust, etc. could exploit and make a larger breach for the divisions that were coming. The most shocking part of this vision was that the horde was not riding on horses, but on Christians. Most of them were well-dressed, respectable, and had the appearance of being refined and educated. These were Christians who had opened themselves to the powers of darkness to such a degree that the enemy could use them and they would think they were being used by God. I prophesied that two weeks ago without ever reading this before. The accuser knows that a house divided cannot stand and this army represented his ultimate attempt to bring such complete division to the church that she would completely fall from grace. If this house is together and we're not divided, imagine what God could do with us. Trailing behind these first were a few, vast multitude of other Christians who were prisoners of this army. They were all wounded and were guarded by little demons of fear. There seemed to be more prisoners than there were demons in the army. Surprisingly, these prisoners still had their swords and shields, but they did not use them. It was shocking to see that so many could be kept captive by so few and these little demons of fear. These could have easily been destroyed or driven off by the prisoners had just they used their weapons. Above the prisoners, the sky was black with vultures named depression. These would land on the shoulders of a prisoner and vomit on him. The vomit was condemnation. When the vomit hit a prisoner, he would stand up and march around a little straighter for a while, then slump over even weaker than before. Again, I wonder why the prisoners did not simply kill these vultures with their swords, of which they could have easily done." Occasionally a weak prisoner would stumble and fall and as soon as he or she hit the ground, the other prisoners would begin stabbing them with their swords, scorning them as they did so. They would then call for the vultures to begin devouring the fallen one even before they were dead. As I watched, I realized that these prisoners thought that the vomit of condemnation was truth from God. Then I understood that these prisoners actually thought they were marching in the army of God. This is why they did not kill the little demons of fear or the vultures. They thought these were messengers from God. The darkness from the cloud of vultures made it so hard for these prisoners to see that they naively accepted everything that happened to them as being from the Lord. The only food provided for these prisoners was the vomit from the vultures. Those who refused to eat it simply weakened until they fell. Those who did eat it were strengthened, but with the strength of the evil one. They would then begin to vomit on the others. When one began to do this, a demon that was waiting for a ride would be given this one, or he or she would be promoted to the front divisions. Even worse than the vomit from the vultures was a repulsive slime that these demons were urinating and defecating upon the Christians they rode. This slime was the pride, selfish ambition, etc. that was the nature of the division they were a part of. However, this slime made the Christians feel so much better than the condemnation that they easily believed that the demons were messengers of God and they actually thought this slime was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Then the voice of the Lord came to me saying, This is the beginning of the enemy's last day army. This is Satan's ultimate deception. His ultimate power of destruction is released when he uses Christians to attack other Christians. I need a burrito to get through this thing. (laughs) Throughout the ages he has used this army, but never has he been able to capture so many to be used for his evil purposes. Do not fear. I have an army too. You must now stand and fight because there is no longer any place to hide from this war. You must fight for my kingdom, for truth, and for those who have been deceived. I have been so repulsed and outraged by the evil army that I had wanted to die rather than to live in such a world. However, this word from the Lord was so encouraging that I immediately began yelling to the Christian prisoners that they were deceived, thinking that they would listen to me. When I did this, it seemed that the whole army turned to look at me, but I kept yelling. I thought that the Christians were going to wake up and realize what was happening to them. But instead, many of them started reaching for their arrows to shoot at me. The others just hesitated as if they did not know what to make of me. I then knew that I had done this prematurely and it had been a very foolish mistake. The battle begins. Then I turned and saw the army of the Lord standing behind me. And there were thousands of soldiers, but we were greatly outnumbered. Only a small number were fully dressed in their armor so that most were only partially protected. A large number were already wounded. Most of those who had had all their armor still had very small shields, which I knew would not protect them from the onslaught that was coming. The majority of these soldiers were women and children. Behind this army, there was a trailing mob, similar to the prisoners who followed the evil army, but very different in nature. These seemed to be very happy people and were playing games, singing songs, feasting and roaming about from one little camp to the next. It reminded me of the atmosphere at Woodstock. I tried to raise my voice above the clamor to warn them that this was not the time for this, that the battle was about to begin, but only a few could even hear my voice. Those who did gave me the peace sign and said they did not believe in war and that the Lord would not let anything bad happen to them. I tried to explain that the Lord had given us armor for a reason. Ooh, That's good. Rick. But they just retorted that they had come to a place of peace and joy where nothing would happen to them. I began praying earnestly for the Lord to increase the faith shields of those with the armor to help us protect those who were not ready for the battle. A messenger came to me, gave me a trumpet and told me to blow it quickly. I did and those who had on at least some of their armor immediately responded, snapping to attention. More armor was brought to them, which they put on quickly. I noticed that those who had wounds did not put on armor over their wounds. But before I could say anything about this enemy, arrows began raining down on us. Everyone who did not have on all of his armor was wounded. Those who had not covered their wounds were struck again in the same place. Those who were hit by arrows of slander immediately began to slander those who were not wounded. Those who were hit with the gossip began to gossip. And soon a major division had created within our camp. Then vultures swooped down to pick up the wounded to deliver them into the camp of the prisoners. The wounded still had swords and could have smitten the vultures easily, but they didn't. They were actually carried off willingly because they were so angry at the rest of us. The scene among those in the camp behind our army was even worse. There seemed to be total chaos. Thousands lay on the ground, wound, wounded and groaning. Many of those who were not wounded just sat in a stupor of unbelief. The wounded and those who sat in unbelief were being quickly carried away by the vultures. Some were trying to help the wounded and keep the vultures off of them, but the wounded were so angry that they would threaten and drive away those who were trying to help them. Many who were not wounded were simply running as fast as they could from the scene of battle. This first encounter with the enemy was so devastating that I was tempted to join them in their flight. Then very quickly, some of these began reappearing with full suits of armor on and large shields. The mirth of the party had changed into an awesome resolve. They began to take the places of those who had fallen and even began forming new ranks to protect the rear and flanks. These brought great courage and everyone resolved to stand and fight until death. Immediately three great angels named Faith, Hope and Love came and stood behind us and everyone's shield began to grow. We had swords named the word of God and arrows that were named for biblical truths. We wanted to shoot back, but did not know how to, how to, without hitting the Christians that were ridden by demons. Then it occurred to us that if these Christians were hit truth, they would wake up and fight off their oppressors. I fired off arrows. Almost all of them hit Christians. However, when the arrow of truth went into them, they did not wake up or fall down wounded. They became enraged and the demon riding on them grew much larger. This shocked everyone and we began to feel this may be an impossible battle to win. But with faith, hope, and love, we were very confident that we could at least hold our own ground. Another angel named Wisdom then appeared and directed us to fight from the mountain behind us. Mountain. On the mountain, there were ledges at different levels for as high as you could see. At each higher level, the ledges became narrower and harder to stand on. Each level was named after a biblical truth. The lower levels were named after foundational truths such as salvation, sanctification, Prayer, faith, and the higher levels were named after more advanced biblical truths. The higher we climbed, the larger both our shields and swords grew, and fewer of the enemy 's arrows could reach us at that position. I had not read this when I came up with the series. Some who had stayed on the lower levels began picking up the enemy arrows and shooting back at them. This was a tragic mistake. The demons easily dodged the arrows and left them hit as, The demons easily dodged the arrows and let them hit the Christians. When a Christian was hit by one of the arrows of accusation or slander, a demon named bitterness or rage would fly in and perch on that arrow. He would then begin to urinate and defecate his poison upon that Christian. When a Christian had two or three of these demons added to the pride or self-righteousness that they already had, he began to change into the contorted image of the demons themselves. We could see this happening from higher levels, but those on the lower levels who were used to the enemy's arrows could not see it. Half of us decided to keep climbing while the other half descended back to the lower levels to explain to those still on them what was happening. Everyone was then warned to keep climbing and not stop, except for a few who stationed themselves on each level to keep the elder soldiers from moving higher. When we reached a level called the unity of the brethren, none of the enemy's arrows could reach us. Many in our camp decided that this was as far as they needed to climb. I understood this because with each new level, the footing was more precarious. However, I also felt much stronger and more skillful with my weapons the higher I went so I continued climbing. Come on. Soon my skills were good enough to shoot and hit the demons without hitting the Christians. I felt that if I kept going higher, I could shoot far enough to hit the leaders of the evil horde who stayed behind their army. I was sorry that so many had stopped on the lower levels where they were safe but could not hit the enemy. Even so, the strength and character that grew in those who kept climbing made them great champions, each of which I knew would destroy many of the enemy. At each level, there were arrows of truth scattered about, which I knew that were left from those who had fallen from that position. All of the arrows were named after truth of that level. Some were were reluctant to pick up these arrows, but I knew we needed all we could to destroy the great horde below. I picked one up, shot it, and so easily hit a demon that the others started picking them up and shooting them. We began to decimate several of the enemy divisions. Because of this, the entire evil army focused its attention on us. For a time, it seemed the more we achieved, the more we were opposed. Though our tasks seemed endless, it had become exhilarating. Our swords grew as we reached each level. I almost left mine behind because I did not seem to need it at higher levels. I finally decided that it had been given to me for a purpose, so I had better keep it. I drove it into the ground and tied myself to it while I shot at the enemy. The voice of the Lord then came to me saying, You have used the wisdom that will enable you to keep climbing. Many have fallen because they did not use their sword properly to anchor themselves. No one else seemed to hear this voice, but many saw what I had done and did the same thing. I wonder why the Lord had not spoken to me before and I had made this decision. I then had a sense of knowing that he had already spoken this to me somehow. Then I perceived that my whole life had been training for this hour." I was prepared to the degree that I had listened to the Lord and obeyed him th- throughout my life. I also knew that for some reason, the wisdom and understanding I now had could not be added to or taken away from while in this battle. That's deep. I became profoundly thankful for every trial that I had experienced in my life and sorry for not appreciating, the, appreciating them more and more each time. Tim Bailey, where's your t-shirt? Where are you at? Um, is Tim Bailey in here? What's, your, what's the back of your t-shirt say? I saw it in worship. Yeah. hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny C.S. Lewis God show me that in worship soon we were hitting the demons with almost perfect accuracy, rage rose from the enemy army like a fire and brimstone I knew that the Christians trapped in that army were now feeling the brunt of that rage unable to hit us they were now shooting at each other this is Old Testament remember they all get confused and go at each other. Wouldn't you, love for your, wouldn't you love for your unity to cause your enemies to start fighting each other? This is real. Unable to hit us, they were now shooting at each other. With his arrows now ineffective against us, the enemy sent the vultures to attack. Those who had not used their swords as anchors were able to strike down many of the vultures, but they too were being knocked from the ledges where they were standing. Some of these landed on a power level, but some fell all the way to the bottom and were picked up and carried off by the vultures. Jones, with me talking about war so much, you gotta be just so happy in your heart right now. Me, re- I, <laughs> I can literally just, in the spirit, see you just wanting to jump through sheetrock here. The, the arrows of truth would rarely penetrate the vultures, but they, are, they hurt them enough to drive them back. Every time they were driven back, some of us would climb to the next level. When we reached a level called Galatians 2.20... We were above the altitude that the vultures could fly. Remember I, remember I prophesied the, the whole thing, the first yeah. sermon in this series about giving the enemy a nosebleed? Yeah. At this level, the sky above almost blinded us with its brightness and beauty. Beauty. I, beauty, same thing. <laughs> I hadn't read this much out loud since the third grade. <laughs> Her name was Miss Dover and I was in love with this girl and I was, I've never been so scared in my life. <clears throat> I think it was the call of the wild I had to read out loud. I felt peace like i had never felt it before. Previously, much of my fighting spirit had really been motivated out of as much hatred and disgust for the enemy as it had been for the sake of the kingdom, truth, and love for the prisoners. But it was on this level that I caught up to faith, hope, and love, which before I had only been following at a distance. On this level, I almost was overpowered by their glory. When I called up to them, they turned to me and began repairing and shining my armor. Soon it was completely transformed and exuded the glory that was in them. When they touched my sword, great bolts of brilliant lightning began flashing from it. Love then said, those who reach this level are entrusted with the powers of the age to come, but I must teach you how to use them. The Galatians 2.20 level was so wide that there was no longer any danger of falling. Why would you not want to ascend the mountain of God? There were also unlimited arrows with the name "Hope" written all over them. We shot some of them down at the vultures, and these arrows killed them easily. About half who had reached this level kept shooting while the others began carrying these arrows down to those who were still in the lower levels. The vultures kept coming in in waves upon the levels below, but with each one, there would be fewer than before. From Galatians 220, we could hit any enemy in the army except the leaders themselves. We who were still out of range, who were still out of range. We decided not to use the arrows of truth until we had destroyed all the vultures because the cloud of depression they created made the truth less effective. This took a very long time, but we never got tired. Faith, hope, and love who had grown like the weapons with each level were now so large that I knew people far beyond the battle area could see them. Their glory even radiated into the camp of prisoners who were still under a great cloud of vultures. The exhilaration continued to grow in all of us. I felt that being in this army, in this battle, had to be one of the greatest adventures of all time. After, after destroying most of the vultures that had been attacking our mountain, we began picking off the vultures that had covered the prisoners. As the cloud of darkness began dissipating and the sun began to shine down on them, they began to wake up as if they had been in a deep sleep. They were immediately repulsed by their condition, especially by the vomit they still covered them, and began cleaning themselves up. As they beheld faith, hope, and love, they saw the mountain we were on and began running for it. The evil horde rained arrows of accusation and slander in them, but it did not stop. By the time they got back to the mountain, many had a dozen or more arrows stuck in them but seemed not to even notice. As soon as they began to scale the mountain, their wounds began to heal. With the cloud of depression being dispelled, it seemed as if everything was getting much easier. The former prisoners had great joy in their salvation. They seemed so overwhelmed with the appreciation for each level as they began to scale the mountain that it gave us a greater appreciation for those truths. Soon a fierce resolve to fight the enemy also arose in the former prisoners. They put on the armor provided and begged to be allowed to go back and attack the enemy. We thought about it and then decided that we should all stay on the mountain to fight. Again, the voice of the Lord spoke, a second time you have chosen wisdom. You cannot win if you try to fight the enemy on his own ground, but must remain on my holy mountain. I then turned and saw that the entire army of the Lord was standing in that garden. There were men and women and children from all races and nations, each carrying their banners that moved in the wind with perfect unity, unity, unity. I knew that nothing like this had been seen in the earth before. I knew that the enemy had more armies of fortresses throughout the earth, but none could stand before the great army. I said almost under my breath, this must be the day of the Lord. The whole host then answered in some awesome thunder, the day of the Lord of hosts has come. In a few minutes, I'm going to release parents to go get kids. You cannot ascend the mountain of God and value disunity. No one has ever accidentally valued unity. Jesus prayed for it because he knew that the enemy comes primarily to attack one thing in your life. He wants you walking in disunity with anyone and everyone around you. Because the enemy knows better than most of God's kids that unity actually demands the blessing of heaven. Would you like the blessing of heaven in your life, in your sphere of influence? Imagine you just saying no to gossip and slander. Let me give you one practical advice here. Silence is agreement. When someone does this in your vicinity, how quick are you to say, why would you be cooperating with Satan right now? I promise you, it will catch them off guard. (laughs) Even if that person is your lead pastor, interrupt him or her. I want the blessing of heaven on my life. I can't believe he's making me say this. All right. I have a minute and 50. I never really have a stare down with him on anything he says but this one I'm like, really? Um, God loves intimacy inside the context of marriage. Being discreet here. Intimacy inside the context of marriage is expressed beyond a handshake. If this was a marriage conference, I could go into more detail. I'm married. I've been married 22 years. And when a married couple is enjoying intimacy. It's created by the father. The other night, I, I say to my wife, I said, "This is uh, this is either pure manipulation or this is God." There's 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 one of those two. I said, "Um, this is a John. Se- God has has given a picture of intimacy inside the context of marriage through the lens of John seventeen. When when two people are in unity in marriage." it manifests in the natural, correct? Yeah. And, I, and uh, so when when Wendy and I in, enjoyed intimacy inside the context of marriage, um, later that night, I don't know who it was standing in my room. I had the sense of um, a very powerful angel standing in my room. And that night for the sixth time since Marian prophesied over me, the father gave me another encounter with heaven. And I'll close with this. This is what he told me. If his kids knew what unity does from his angelic army, you would despise disunity. You would forgive easily. You would release forgiveness. You would hate bitterness. There's nothing more important in the assignment on my earth than the unity with my wife. And God told me that. I had a a long conversation with God. I don't care how brilliant you are and I don't care if you can raise the dead. If you walk in disunity, you are inviting destruction in your life. And as you are processing, look at the fruit on your tree. If destruction is coming, it may not be accidental. You may be pulling the trigger from both hell and heaven on it. But if the opposite is true and you're like, where is this blessing coming from? Perhaps it's because you hate slander as much as God does and that you pray for John 17 as much as Jesus did and does. He's interceding for us right now. You know what he prays for? The same thing he prayed in John 17. So may we be a church that values unity. Let's stand up together. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless this house for the generations to come that we would be as committed to unity as he is. Go in peace. Please go get your kiddos downstairs. Love you guys.